Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy B. Wilson. And so in our last episode, uh, we discussed the incidents that happened in 1898 in Savo, Africa, during construction of the Uganda Railroad. Two lions, who came to be known as the Ghost in the Darkness, because many of the men in camp believed them to be supernatural, killed and ate dozens of workers, eventually shutting down work on the bridge until the pair were killed by Lieutenant Colonel John Patterson, who was a civil engineer that was hired to work on the construction project. So we need to have a note about names before we go on today. Yes. That's that we're going to be talking a good bit about the work of a researcher named Bruce Patterson. And he has no relation to the John Patterson who killed the lions. So when we refer to Patterson by last name only in the second part, we are talking about Bruce Patterson, the researcher. Yeah. So the first question that comes up in research when people discuss these lions uh, is why did they develop a taste for human flesh? And there are a number of possible contributing factors. So one of them is that there may have been a scarcity of other food sources. In the late 1890s, render pest, which we talked about uh, in a listener mail segment related to our episode about smallpox. Turns out smallpox is not the only illness that mankind has ever eradicated. It's the only human illness. Yes. But Rinderpest really was doing some ravaging of livestock. Yes. Rinderpest was a very serious livestock disease that was eradicated in 2011. And it might have been responsible for completely devastating the buffalo population, which significantly reduced the prey options of the Savo lions. And uh, smallpox and famine were also ravaging the region and affecting humans. There was also uh, slave and ivory caravans that were traveling the area. And as people would die of smallpox, famine, or just slaves that would die of exhaustion on these caravans would drop, uh, the bodies were usually just left. Uh, So this may have easily given these lions a taste for human flesh because corpses were readily available and most animals, even hunting animals, will go for the easiest possible food source. They like to conserve their energy. Exactly. Which is also going to come up a little bit later. There's also the same factor that's often part of animals attacking humans, which is loss of territory. We talked about that a little bit at the end of the last episode. As people move into wild areas, the animals that live and hunt there are displaced or they find that their entire ecosystem has been unbalanced as a result. And that often leads to sudden behavioral changes as species try to adapt to these new conditions. And because there were problems with lions attacking humans prior to the famous incidents that uh, were described in Savo as part of this bridge building in 1898, uh, and attacks have continued since then, Animal behaviorists have theorized that manhunting may, in fact, be a learned behavior that's been passed down through multiple generations of this lion group. So there have been many, many studies conducted about the Tsavo lions through the years. In particular, the team at the Field Museum, where the ghost and the darkness live on as taxidermy displays, has been highly involved in multiple research projects about why these lions do what they do. Their work has focused mostly on the lion's social grouping, why they don't have manes, the ecological influences of the area, and even their dental health. And we're actually going to talk about dental health first, because this one is really fascinating. It's all really fascinating to me, but this one I had not heard of before. Uh, But there was a study released in 2000 
And they had examined the teeth of both of the lions from the 1898 incidents, because we have their skulls at the field, as well as a third lion that the Field Museum acquired uh, as part of its taxidermy display. And that lion killed six people in uh, Mufui, Zambia in 1991. And when they looked at all of these skulls of these lions, they all had severe dental issues. One of the Savo lions had severe root tip abscesses. The other had so much damage and so many missing teeth that it would have been hard for it to deliver any kind of killing bite to a one of its typical prey animals. In the case of the lion from Zambia, there was evidence of chronic jaw infection. And that led to the examination of the possibility that all of these lions might have turned to hunting humans because they're much easier prey than most of the other animals that they would normally hunt. Yeah, aside from the fact that we're humans are not as fast, our skin is soft. We easy to bite through compared to a hide. I was going to say we are much softer and more delicate than a wildebeest. We're squishier, it's true. Uh, and this study actually built on the work of a tiger hunter that uh, worked in India in the 1930s named Jim Corbett. And he had put forth this, uh, what was called the infirmity theory about beasts that hunt humans as prey. So when he was working in the 30s, he was often hired as a hunter to track and shoot tigers that targeted villagers in India. And in many of the cases that Corbett handled, after he would, uh, you know, collect his prey after or collect a tiger after it had been killed, almost all of them had some physical ailment. And this led him to believe that, you know, it was the old or the injured animals that were going after humans, again, because they're easier to catch than uh, normal wild animals. Yeah, it ties into what we were saying earlier about how even a predator will scavenge things because it's easier. Yeah. Uh, it takes you less always energy. Take the path of least resistance. Yeah, and so when the animal has less energy to start with, that makes the easier prey an even more delicious target. So since only the skulls of the lions were preserved, all the rest of the components that make up the taxidermy display at the Field Museum are not original to the Savo lions. And even the hides are replacements because the originals were damaged by being rugs. Researchers don't really know if the lions had other health issues besides their bad teeth. Right. Uh, however... There have been studies that have been conducted on modern, quote, problem lions in the Tsavo area. Uh, when these lions are killed by rangers outside the Tsavo East National Park, uh, they're collected and then examined. And these examinations have not supported this theory. Bruce Patterson, who is uh, the MacArthur Curator of Mammals at the Field Museum and his team, examined 23 of these lions that were known to attack humans. And less than 25% of them were found to have dental issues. So the majority of them were actually healthy young males. Another point of interest is that in conducting forensic studies of the animal's jaws, researchers were able to retrieve the hair of some of their prey, which had been stuck in their teeth for more than 100 years. And none of that hair was human. So it shows that the lions did also eat other animals. That would also kind of explain what was going on during the long lapses uh, in when they weren't attacking when they so weren't attacking, frequently. They were eating something else. So while we think about that, do you want to stop for a second and hear a word from our sponsor? Sure. All right, let's do it. And now back to lions. The next thing that has been studied a whole lot is a really unique characteristic of uh, the lions in this area, which is that the males do not grow manes. 
uh, prior to modern research, there had been sighting of these maneless males before, but it had always been unknown if they were just an adolescent that had not grown in their mane or if they had a medical problem, which would somehow lead to them not being able to grow this full fur or that they had lost it. The ghost and the darkness are estimated to have been between 8 and 10 years old when they were killed, and normally a lion's mane would grow in by the age of 5, but neither of them had a mane. Correct. One had some kind of tufting, which has been seen on lions in this area, where they have kind of little wispy bits of fur, but it's nothing compared to what you would normally see like in a Serengeti lion. Uh, so Bruce Patterson and his colleague, Roland Kays, who is the senior scientist of zoology at New York State Museum in Albany, set out to study these lions and their hair growth. And they're certainly not the only researchers to examine this aspect of the cats. Uh, scientists are actually still trying to figure out why any lions grow manes in the first place. It's kind of a, an odd thing in terms of hair patterning. So to lure the lions in, Kays played the sound of a wounded baby buffalo that he had recorded on an earlier outing. And lo and behold, the lions came right out and they came close enough to the vehicle for the researchers to be able to see the tiny nicks and scratches that help uh, distinguish one animal from another. Yeah, they were suddenly very interested in the wounded baby buffalo noise. Uh, and the team immediately, upon getting this spectacularly close-up view, uh, noticed a significant difference between the Tsavo lions and their Serengeti counterparts. And it was not about their hair, even though that's what they had initially gone primarily to study. Uh, whereas a pride in the Serengeti would normally have six or seven females and anywhere from two to four males, Tsavo prides often had seven or eight females and only a single male. Patterson and Kays also observed another unusual behavior that they had never seen in other lion groups. And those are troops of three or four males living and hunting together outside of a normal mixed sex tribe. And worth noting is the fact that the ghost in the darkness actually fell outside either of these group behaviors that Patterson and Kays have witnessed. Uh, they were two mature males that were hunting together. So they were older than these young males that they were finding in groups of four and they did not seem to have females with them at all. Patterson and Case theorized that these unusual behaviors and the manelessness trait are all linked directly to the animal's hormones. So their theory is centered around the idea that the male-only groups are probably immature males who haven't had hormonal peaking. Once they reach full maturity, they'll probably lose their ability to tolerate each other, uh, and they'll form their own prides by attracting females. This theory also includes the idea that the higher than normal testosterone levels may account for not having manes, similar to how male pattern baldness is also linked to high testosterone. Yeah, but they haven't been able to um, conclusively determine if that's the case. Uh, you know, it's tricky to capture such a beast and test it. Uh, man, would you want to? Well, and because... <laughs> Because people's hormones are not like static things. Exactly. It's not a constant. Yeah. You you would have to capture them and test their hormones repeatedly. And then the the act of capturing and testing would also be a stressor that would yeah. influence that. It would yeah. be kind of. Uh, there was one thing that I read that said that like really to get a full comparison of like a Tsavo lion versus your standard Serengeti lion, you would have to somehow capture two as cubs take them away from, you know, their pride or their their parents, raise them side by side in identical circumstances, and then do testing. But 
That is both difficult and has a lot of question marks about whether that's a good thing to do. Yeah. I uh, also, I just as a side note, I find that the mainless males to look really freaky. <laughs> like, like as a kid, you learn that that male lions have manes and lionesses do not. Yeah. And that you don't really think of their bodies being dissimilar other than that. Like, that's sort of the key marker that we learn as little kids. Yeah. And their bodies actually are pretty different. Yeah. And the, so having They're them so huge and muscular and it's like yeah. the mane and other lions is kind of hiding some of that. They look like thugs. They, they're, they look just so, yeah. ooh, they're meaty. Yeah. The, <laughs> the maneless male lions, if you have not seen their videos, we have some on the website yeah. and, and they strike me in a very, <laughs> like, they're frightening. They're frightening to me. And at one point, all of this uh, discussion about the different behaviors from other lions and the, the different uh, physical traits led researchers to suspect that they might actually be a distinct species different from other lions and that that would explain the manelessness and these behavior variations. Uh, unlike the hormone question, uh, genetics proved this to be wrong pretty easily. Genetic sequencing revealed that Savo lions are exactly the same as any other East African lions, so genetically they should be able to grow manes. There's no DNA reason for them to be behaving differently. And it's possible, of course, that the lack of the mane is actually a response to environmental conditions. Uh, the thorny terrain of Savo would make a long mane inconvenient. And Savo is also a lower and warmer climate than the Serengeti. So lions in this hotter region may simply have adapted without manes because the heat makes that additional hair a huge handicap to both their comfort and their health. It would make it really difficult for lions in search of food or mates to travel long distances because that extra heat generated by the blanket of their mane would cause them to need more frequent water stops, which are not always available in Savo. There's just not as many opportunities for kind of refreshment. Yeah. So it could be entirely just a, an environmental adaptation. Yeah. Now let's talk about whether they actually ate all those people. Yeah, this also is a science to the rescue situation. Yeah, so the famous lions of John H. Patterson's account did indeed kill and eat people. Uh, but the number originally reported of 135 deaths, which I just stuns me, uh, that's been reevaluated in recent years. Yeah, Patterson uh, uses that number in his book. And scientists at UC Santa Cruz examined samples from the field museum's display, and they compared isotopes in samples collected from the felines' uh, bone collagen and hair keratin. So, as we know, what you eat shows up in your collagen and your hair follicle in your hair. Uh, they compared that with the isotopes that were found in their normal prey: zebra, buffalo, wildebeest. And they also compared it to the remains of Kenyans from the 19th century to get a better idea of what the animals had actually consumed. So they're basically comparing all of these tiny, itty bitty, microscopic, you know, atomic level proteins and keratins with all of the other possible things they could have eaten. And uh, just in case you're wondering where those human samples of Kenyans from the 19th century came from, uh, they actually used material that had been gathered by anthropologist Louis Leakey during an expedition in 1928. So just a couple decades after the um, the killings that were going on as part of the, the big ghost in the darkness event. So theoretically, those Kenyans would have had similar diets and... Uh, their isotopes would be the same as the ones 20 years prior. Yeah, the same basic process as what we talked about in our episode about 
the uh, cannibalism at Jamestown uh-huh. when they were trying to figure out who this person was and where she had come from. They yeah. had looked at the, the isotopes that remained as a result of her diet. And in this case, the findings indicated that one of the lions probably ate 24 people. So that would be about half of its diet during the last months of its life. The other one ate only about 11 people and seemed to favor middle-sized herbivores for the majority of its food. So yeah, quite a bit short of 135. That is still, that's still a lot of people. We're still people. in the dozens arena. Uh, railroad company records indicate that 28 Indian nationals were killed by the lions and there was an unknown number of Africans. So they had shipped in Indian nationals and they had much better records on them, which is why we know. Uh, and these records combined with the data that the UC Santa Cruz team compiled from doing this isotopic comparison have led many to wonder if John Patterson didn't kind of inflate the number to 135 in his book as sort of a hunter's boast or even a way just to drum up book sales. Although to me, I think if you say these lions killed 35 people, that's pretty shocking. I don't know why you have to add a hundred more to it. Well, then the editor in me goes, or did somebody just accidentally typo a one in front of the rest (laughs) and no one caught it? I wondered about that too. Uh, So many of the researchers who study the Savo lions have asserted that this group is no more inherently likely to attack people than any other lions, but that the circumstances just led to their selection of people as prey, and that humans' love of a good story has continued to put them forth as this kind of legendarily bloodthirsty man-eating pack. Yeah. Uh, and to kind of close out on that mindset, uh, zoologist Dennis King, who has studied the Savo lions for years, once told journalist Philip Caputo, Quote, people don't want to give up on mythology. I am so sick of this man-eater business. Patterson has made a hell of a lot of money off that story, but Savo's lions are no more likely to turn man-eater than lions from elsewhere. So his thing is, like, we shouldn't be demonizing this one group of lions. Yeah. We're kind of creating the perfect set of circumstances for them to have developed this uh, taste for humans. Right. Well, this story keeps reminding me of Jaws. (laughs) You know, Jaws made sharks be terrifying in people's minds in a way that they were not before this story of these specific lions yeah. makes them quite more terrifying than lions on their own already are. Yeah. You know, being big apex predators. Yeah. Again, 35 would have been fine to be terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you get to the part where they're just dragging people off in the night. Yeah, I mean, it's scary, and they were genuinely scary. I don't want to play down the fact that, like, yes, they really did kill and eat people, and they were extremely um crafty in the way yeah. they went about their hunts, and they were stalking humans as though they were any other prey. Uh But it, it, we have to look at the bigger picture of the circumstantial scenario that they found themselves in that led them to that behavior. Yeah, well, and I don't intend to victim blame by pointing out that there were, there were people in the lion turf, but... Right. <laughs> That is also a consequence of... Yeah, it's a factor. Yeah. Uh, So that's the scoop on the Savo lions, which I love to read about them. Um, Anytime there's a new behavioral study or research study, I'm always excited about it. Well, and I I think the last time we got an email from somebody asking us to talk about them, I remember, like, we have a hard time answering our email. (laughs) We have lots of email that is as yet unanswered. Yeah, we don't keep up with it. Yeah, this is one where the email came in. And there was this immediate answer from me that was like, I totally want to talk about those. I do, because I love that story. And it is one, because I'm crazy animal lady, and I really have a thing for cats, obviously. Um, 
But just, you know, I, I sort of, if I had not gone into my career field, I, one of the things I had considered was animal behavior. So it's a little pet zone of mine. Yeah. And they're just so majestic and beautiful. And I remember the first time I saw them at the field, like, I kind of gasped and just stood there very quietly and yeah, can't help but have sort of a respect and fear at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's literal awe. That word has been kind of turned into something other when people say it's awesome uh it means something different than what it initially meant they are truly awesome like they inspire awe right uh that it made me sad that uh when i was in chicago the one time that i've been to chicago i did not go to the field i went to the museum of science and industry which is also also spectacular but yeah i was kind of like i wish i had managed to make my trip one more day longer they have an entire huge taxidermy wing that's really mind blowing. They've done such a beautiful job with it. So if you are into that, I highly recommend it. The field is a it's one of my favorite museums. Do you have some listener mail? For I us? do. And it's actually similar to the listener mail we had in our last episode, uh, because it turns out everyone is related to a Hessian. <laughs> Maybe not everybody, but a lot of people are, and it's really cool because they've kept really interesting family records. Uh so this one comes from our listener Amanda, and she wrote us on Facebook. She said, hi there, I love listening to the show, especially during my morning commute. I recently listened to the Hessians episode, and it triggered a memory of a genealogy book of my paternal grandmother's family. Johann Schwalm was a Hessian who fought and was captured in the Battle of Trenton. He was then taken to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, my hometown, as a prisoner of war, and was sold basically as an indentured servant to work on a local farm. Once his service was completed, he made his way to uh, the county in Pennsylvania that ended up being where my grandmother was born. I've also heard the term Hessian used to describe a group of cli- or clique of rough hooligan teenage boys. I had never heard it that way, but I kind of love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll appropriate historical terms for comedic labeling, I suppose, at times with care. Uh, as, yeah, as long as we're not a- appropriating uh, oppressed minority groups. Yeah, nothing that's really, that seems like a fun and lighthearted thing. Yeah. Nobody gets hurt. Uh, in the genealogy book, we found that one of Johann's descendants was a witness to the execution of William Kehoe, the leader of the Molly Maguires. Possible podcast topic? Uh, that is a really cool story, Amanda. Yeah. I, you don't hear much about the, the ones that were sold off as servants. That's no. one we did not get very many emails about or no. messages. Which we got a lot more. We, yeah, we got a lot more. You know, my ancestor was a Hessian who deserted, or my ancestor was a Hessian who stayed after the war. After the war, yeah. Not so much mine was, was a captured Hessian and sold, <laughs> prisoner of war who was sold into indentured servitude. But it seemed like it worked out. After his so. service was completed, he yeah. ended up settling in a lovely area, and that's how Amanda came to be. So it worked out just fine. <laughs> If you would also like to write us, you can. Uh, we are at historypodcast at discovery.com if you want to use email. If you would like to connect with us on Facebook, you can do so at facebook.com slash history class stuff. At Missed in History will get you to us on Twitter. Mistinhistory.tumblr.com is our Tumblr address. And we are also on Pinterest. You can just do a search for stuff you missed in history class. You'll find us. Uh, if you would like to learn more about a topic tangentially related to what we talked about today, you can go to our website and type in the word lions, and you will get an article on how lion taming works. Incidentally, uh, if you watch any of the movies, particularly the most recent one that starred uh, Val Kilmer and Michael Douglas about the ghost in the darkness, you will notice that those lions have manes. That's because it is hard to capture and tame a Savo lion. <laughs> the lions working in Hollywood all have la- manes, so... 
Uh, that is how it's connected to Lion Taming. If you would like to learn about almost anything else that you can think of, you should do that at our website, which is HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Netflix streams TV shows and movies directly to your home, saving you time, money, and hassle. As a Netflix member, you can instantly watch TV episodes and movies streaming directly to your PC, Mac, or right to your TV with your Xbox 360, PS3, or Nintendo Wii console, plus Apple devices, Kindle, and Nook. Get a free 30-day trial membership. Go to www.netflix.com and sign up now.